Welcome to Eurodollar University. My name is Emil Kalinowski. I'm talking to Jeff Snyder, the head of global research at Alhambra Investments. And Jeff, just a second ago, we're recording this on Thursday, the 10th of February, 2022. Just a second ago, you told me that the yield spread between the what and the what was nine basis points? Between the five-year note and the 10-year note is down to nine basis points after today's record high or, you know, 40-year high CPI. And in that same vein, it makes me think of a little blog post or a column by one Bill Dudley from last year, August 9th, 2021. The title of it was Bond Yields Can't Stay This Low Forever. I think there's a tie in there. The yield spread can't stay this low forever. Bond yields can't stay this low forever. What's going on? Another conundrum. We're going to be talking about QE based on what Mr. Dudley wrote about, about a year ago. Uh, eight months ago, and then a new report about the effectiveness of QE. Maybe yields are so low, Jeff, because QE is being so effective in purchasing so many bonds. We've talked about this before. If we look at it month by month, quarter by quarter, QE by QE, we see that that, that might not be the case. But Jeff, let me go back in time and read some quotes from Mr. Dudley. Can you tell us, Jeff, why you referenced this now eight-month, nine-month-year-old column at Bloomberg by Bill Dudley? What inspired you? Well, we started out with here that the yield curve has been flattening. What that means is that nominal rates have been rising better almost two years now, going back to August of 2020. But nominal rates have been rising at different parts, or all parts of the curve, but at different rates, especially over the last four or five months. So the front end of the yield curve, you know, the bills, as well as the short term notes out to around five years, they've been up very sharply anticipating the Fed to begin rate hikes and to become maybe even aggressive with them based on the Fed's reading of the labor market, as well as they're fearing the U.S. consumer and U.S. business person is being normalized to high rates of CPIs and therefore inflation expectations in the real economy are in danger of being unanchored from low levels. That's how their theory of inflation works. And so rate hikes are coming and the bond market agrees. Rate hikes are absolutely going to start and they're going to get to some level at some point. The long end of the yield curve, however, operates independent of the Federal Reserve and in prices more based on, in fact, almost entirely based on what Irving Fisher had said well more than a century ago, growth, a combination of growth and inflation expectations, a real returns in the real economy, so as the front end of the yield curve has shifted to the Fed's rate hike regime, the back end of the yield curve kind of hasn't. So even though nominal rates are rising, they're rising far, far, far more quickly at the front end than they are at the back end. And so this flattening yield curve raises all sorts of uncomfortable questions to both the inflation narrative as well as the economic narrative, which some people say, no, no, no. The only reason that long-end rates haven't risen is because the Fed is obviously buying long-end bonds, and that's ruining the signal. We can't trust long-end of the yield curve. We can't trust the bond market as a whole because QE, the Fed, is what controls interest. And the Fed wants low interest rates, so the Fed got low interest rates. The audience can read this article, the one that you wrote, not the one that Bill Dudley wrote, at the Alhambra Investments blog post, and it was posted on the 2nd of February, 2022. It's called Another Attempt at QE Inflation. And you respond to the two, just what you said, plus two assertions by Bill Dudley as to why rates are so low. Let me just read the setup and then what his reasoning is. 
And then we can transition to that, uh, that study about QE that recently came out and regarding the effectiveness of it and how many billions need to be spent to buy yourself 15 or so basis points. All right. So, quote, here we go. Mr. Dudley, August 9th, oh, August 9th, 2020. I didn't even notice that until now. No irony. No irony. To us, that's the significant date. That's the anniversary of the day when the monetary system broke down in 2007. And it hasn't been the same since, which is, you would think Bill Dudley would be more cognizant of that because he is a frequent visitor to our story for all the wrong reasons, which you don't need to get into here. But Bill Dudley has been a foil. He's been the joker to our Eurodollar story throughout. I mean, the most famous quote that we always laugh about and point to is on August 7th, 2009. So two days before the thing broke, he said there was nothing imminent. There's no, I've talked to Countrywide, I've talked to everybody else, and there's absolutely nothing imminent in commercial paper. Meanwhile, two days later, the commercial paper market absolutely collapsed. Two days later, the commercial market absolutely collapsed because that was the day that BNP Paribas announced, the second largest bank in Europe at the time, that they've been unable to value three of their money market funds for two days now. You remember that, Jeff? So it was actually on August 7th, as he was issuing this quote. The day he was talking to the FOMC, it was already set in motion. Yeah, it's, it's just comedy of errors that it would be funny if it didn't lead to such tragic, tragic and prolonged consequences, including Bill Dudley on August 9th of 2021, 14 years later, saying, don't pay attention to long run bond deals because they, they make a mockery of what I'm about to say. See if you can figure out which of these data points conflicts with the others. The U.S. economy grew at an annualized inflation adjusted rate of six and a half percent last quarter It added an estimated 850,000 jobs last month. Consumer prices have risen 5% over the past year, and the 10-year Treasury note yield has recently fallen to 1.2%. If you guess the Treasury note yield, you're right. Such a low long-term interest rate is totally inconsistent with rapid economic growth, strong job gains, and high inflation. And he's right. It is inconsistent. Absolutely. You got it, Bill. You got something right for once in your life. And it's still the case today where the 10-year Treasury yield has just crossed 2%. CPI rate is up. The 10-year is now at 2%. So 80 basis points are so higher than where Bill Ludley was talking in last August, and it's still too low. If we're talking about rapid growth and sustained inflation, 2% is too low. And I know what people are going to say. Either that, well, the bond market has finally come to realize that this is a problem. It's transitioning to a much higher inflation regime. Or, as we started out, QE is the reason why rates are too low. The surprise is the extremely low level of real yields. This past week, 10-year tips yields fell to a record low, negative 1.2%. This is shocking, not just because the level is low, but also because real yields have been falling even as the economy recovers. Maybe it's not recovering from a depression. Maybe it's recovering from a shutdown and a recession, but it's not recovering from the depression, which began, I don't know, coincidentally, 14 years ago when you wrote this blog post. Okay. I see two main explanations for this extraordinary outcome. Here we go. First, as the developed world's population ages, its savings are exceeding desired investment, a secular trend that isn't likely to change anytime soon. Jeff, is this sort of so like, There's too much savings. Isn't that another way of saying, well, there's not enough consumption or we're in a depression? Why would people be consuming if they don't feel 
confident in their economic future or no? In some ways, too, it's, it's resurrecting Bernanke's global savings glut, which is that, hey, cautious consumers are putting their money in low yielding assets because they're cautious, right? Why are they cautious, Jeff? Yeah, exactly. You would think that if the economy is about to boom, the last thing you would want is safe investment returns or safe characteristics like safety and liquidity of treasuries. Instead, you would be throwing those into the trash or, ditch or selling them to somebody else so that you can buy not much better nominal opportunities in the, either the real economy or the financial economy up down the road. So the very fact that that's still the case, regardless of whether it's too much savings or not, that's you know, that's already one big check mark against. And the reason for the audience members that are new that the consumers are cautious around the world and socially, as we re recently discussed in our most popular episode, is because we've experienced four regional or global economic seizures in the last 15 years. The global financial crisis, the European sovereign debt crisis, the Chinese reserve currency emerging market, rising oil, rising, falling oil, rising dollar crisis, and then most recently the deglobalization and the COVID crisis. Okay, here we go. So now he's saying second. Here's the second reason I think this is for you, Jeff. Second, the Fed is buying a lot of longer term treasury securities. The effect of such quantitative easing has been evident in real yields since the time the Fed began its asset purchase program in 2008. Quantitative, I skipped a, a par several paragraphs now. Quantitative easing has sustained the bull market in bonds beyond what is consistent with longer term fundamentals. <laughs> I thought somewhere in here he said that QE is Unless much more powerful. Oh, here it is. I didn't mean to go there. Yes. This is where I, what I wanted to read. This is why QE may be considerably more powerful than Jen is generally appreciated. Yeah, what he's saying is essentially portfolio effects. There's three mm. theoretical channels by which QE is supposed to work. The first is what, what QE actually does, which is manipulate sentiment. And it's really simply people don't know money. People don't know the monetary system, including central bankers in that group. And so you just you're taught to believe the Fed handles everything. And if the Fed does something that it says is accommodative, you don't really think much about it. You just believe the Fed's being accommodative. Therefore, you act as if the monetary system is favorable. Question. Is this the most successful version or effect of QE? I think there have been studies that have said not really in Japan, right? That there's not much of an effect. But then when we talk about it, we talk that it is extremely effective in the stock market. So maybe it's not effective in the real economy, but it is effective as a narrative. Yeah, and the study we're about to, Emil, the study we're about to reference actually found this okay. is the case. They studied QE's effects on other markets, including the stock market, and found, especially forward guidance, which is the psychology manipulation garbage, that it had a statistically significant effect on stocks, which is what we've been saying all along. Yes, through the sentiment channel, the Fed has been able to manipulate the stock prices because people in the financial services industry really want to buy stocks, and they, but they don't want their clients to call them and say, why are we buying stock? They want to be able to say to their clients, well, we're buying stock because the Fed's printing money and therefore the Jay Powell has our back. So it works really well in the stock market. But that kind of psychology doesn't work at all in the real economy because we have a real money problem. So the first channel is sentiment. The second theoretical channel for QE is the, the portfolio effects where we do, you know, the Fed buys bonds, which we'll get into here. And then there's the third channel of QE, which is essentially we're raising the level of bank reserves. And that's supposed to do something as far as liquidity and other things like that. None of it is really direct action, though, on the money supply or anything, right? It's 
a wealth effect yeah, it, that consumers that are then supposed to react to. And I guess they would if the economy was not in the pits, right? If the economy is growing and they see everyone's wealthy, well, then I'll be wealthy too from the stock market. But it's the consumer supposed to react or the reserves are given to the bank and the bank is then supposed to lend like crazy because they're greedy bankers, except they're also risk-averse bankers when they see their fellow banks being taken out to the cleaners, right? So it's nothing's direct. It's all show, psychology, indirect. Yeah, this should be very easy and simple, right? If the Fed or the Bank of Japan or the ECB, whatever bank, central bank is doing quantitative easing, if it was what everybody said it was, then they would be printing money. Mm. And all that stuff would just happen, right? Because if you print money and throw it out in the real economy, as we saw with Uncle Sam's helicopters last year, there would be detectable effects from that tangible, direct evidence for printing money. Even these central bankers, even economists know that's not what really happens here. So that's why they have these other theoretical channels like sentiment, like portfolio effects and things like that, because bank reserves are not money. The Fed is not printing money. It's trying to manipulate banks and real economic participants into acting in a certain way so that the net result would have been if it had printed money. If you think about it in terms of the banking system alone, the Fed is trying to manipulate bank behavior so that then the banks actually print the money because they're the ones who do that. And so they're one, at the best, the Fed is one step removed from the monetary system, which is why we're going through all of these convoluted schemes to try to arrive at a, an outcome that would have been easy to produce if they actually printed money. And we're going to turn our attention to another Federal Reserve official, one that's a current, currently in, in position, in power. And this was covered in your Real Clear Markets essay that was posted on the 4th of February. The title there was, Everything is about obscuring the true state of the economy. And we're going to be talking about a study. I'm not going to go into all the numbers here, Jeff, you do. And I encourage the audience to read this article, but we're going to talk about Miss Esther George, the study, 15 basis points, $600 billion and two and a half percent, or how much was the eventual if you add it all up, you, you tell us. 150. 150. Yeah. Okay. So what? Yeah. Esther George is the Kansas City branch's president. And she had a speech just recently where she basically said what we've been talking about here, that the reason bond yields at the long end are low is because the Federal Reserve has bought bonds throughout its cumulative history of quantitative easing that goes all the way back to the first announcement in December 2008. And she reasoned that the Fed has done about 6.8 or 6.9 trillion. I forget the exact number she used. 6.8 or 6.9 trillion in asset purchases, which by account of this one study means that the Fed can claim credit for lowering the long-term treasury yield, the 10-year treasury yield specifically by 150 basis points, which already sounds pretty underwhelming, but we'll get to that in a minute. But what she was really doing was extrapolating this one study that looked backwards and said 600 billion in quantitative easing at a certain level of US treasury debt maybe it led to about 15, a 15 basis point reduction in long-term treasury yields. And even that was kind of suspect because the error bars were, were pretty large and two standard deviations was zero mm. and less than zero. Mm. We really can't say that 15 basis points was the real number. So let, but let's, even so, let's, let's say that it is 15 basis points. Remember QE2, QE2 back in 2010? Yes. The end of 2010, Ben Bernanke, this was an escalation. There was money printing. Everybody said this was going to crash the dollar. Inflation was going to get out of control. And then CPI rates actually did rise into 2011. Now, in hindsight, these economists who have every reason to try to come up with 
some evidence that QE actually did something, can only say that that 600 billion QE2, which is what the level of what QE2 was, maybe it reduced interest rates by 15 basis points. At a time when the market, by the way, reduced the 10-year treasury rate from about 4% down to under 2%. So maybe 15 basis points out of that is from QE2. Yeah, we're exceedingly underwhelming. And then what Esther George did on top of that is so inappropriate that it really gives away the game. But before we get there, I just wanted to remind the audience, now we're 15 years later or so, 600 billion, that was supposed to be huge. It was supposed to be shock and awe. An impressive, gargantuan, unbelievable number that is absolutely going to cause inflation. There were articles in newspapers, editorial columns by famous economists, signing letters saying, Ben Bernanke, stop it. This is wild, crazy. You're burning our currency. You're crash the dollar. This, yes, absolutely. That's what $600 billion is. Not really dollars, by the way. We should just call it 600 billion bank reserves, right? That's what we really should be yeah. doing every time this or comes up. Or 600 billion in, in bond purchases, right? Because that's the context here is the Fed bought 600 billion worth of treasuries, which you would think would have more of an effect, right? And 15 basis points. I mean, these are the, not only should it have more of an effect, these studies are written by people who are desperately trying to come up with some evidence that it did have an effect. You read the conclusions as well as the abstract for the study. And it sounds like that's what they came up with. They say, oh, we find significant impacts from quantitative easing. And then you read the fine print and it's 15 basis points. And there's other, you know, there's other channels too, which are actually even less impressive. And you think, this is it? 600 billion. But, you know, it's worse than that because that was 600 billion back when there was a lot less treasuries to be bought. So it was a higher proportion of the debt that was outstanding, which is one reason why Esther George sitting today and saying 6 trillion. It's not an apples to apples comparison. You can't do a straight line extrapolation in that sense where you say, well, if we do 10 $600 billion purchases in a row or in a series, we get a cumulative 150 basis point effect. And by the way, she was also lumping in agency purchases and everything else just to try to make her numbers as big as they possibly could so that she could claim that ridiculously low 150 basis points, which is by no means appropriate in any sense. So again, you can see what they're trying to do here. They're so desperate to be able to say QE did something that they're just throwing numbers against the wall and hoping nobody questions them. And this is not an anomalous conclusion, this study. Jeff, as you've often told us, that this has QE has been the most studied monetary policy experiment ever. That there has been, I don't know how many, I'm going to say dozens, I don't know how many papers have been written about it. I remember on the 20th anniversary, we talked about, I think it was a meta-study and that it looked at all the results and the median result was 50 basis points for 10% of GDP, which is in line with what we're talking about. We're talking not about 500, 5%. We're not talking about 5% or 10% reduction, which you would think you would get. We're talking about Minister. just a ton of money for something that the market's going to be doing regularly, anyhow? That's the overall point here. There's a couple of things that we're trying to say here. Number one, when we say QE doesn't lower bond yields, you don't have to take our word for it. I mean, it's nice if you do, if you believe what we're trying to tell you here, what we're trying to teach people at the monetary system, that's great. But you don't have to take our word for it. Look at the people who have every incentive to find some kind of a result for QE. They still can't find it. And it's 2022. 
QE has been in effect for more than 20 years. We've had so many QE programs around the world in so many different varieties, so many different flavors, so many different contexts, so many different types. Doesn't matter. It's been, and it's been studied to death. And here we are all these years, all these QEs later, and the people who have every reason to tell you it works still can't tell you it works. And they can't tell you how it works. The best that they can come up with is maybe there's a 15 basis point effect and even that much is arguable. It's nothing like how it's described. And so our second point is, now that you don't have to take our word for QE not, not having an effect, then it can't explain what's going on right now in the bond market. It is not the reason why long-term bond yields are not rising as fast as short-term yields are, because it's not QE that's causing the bond market at the long end to look at things differently. It's growth and inflation expectations solely. It's just growth and inflation expectations not bond buying. And even if it was, let's give Esther George the benefit of the doubt here and say that she's right and 150 basis points would be the right number, which it's so not. Let's add 150 basis points to the 10-year yield. That gets us to what? Three and a half percent as of today. That's still an incredibly low level. That's lower than it was than the 10-year treasury was when QE2 began in 2010. So it's not like the interest rate isn't low on its own, even if you think QE has had a tremendous impact. The bond market is telling you global growth and inflation expectations are exceptionally low, whether you believe in this Esther George QE or not. And actual legitimate scholarship tells you that Esther George is just being completely ridiculous for very transparent reasons and that the real number is probably closer to zero than anything. So the bond market signal has not been spoiled by QE at all. Remember in 2018, we were hearing the same thing. Oh, you can't trust the bond market because this or that about the central banks, right? And you've heard it all these years. But Jeff, we've had a, a big show going over each of the conundrums. There wasn't any QE taking place in 2005 or whatever. It was the bond market was also saying, we don't see the same growth in inflation expectations that you see. Maybe you don't know what you're talking about. Maybe we do. We have trillions of dollars of bets on this turning out correctly. And you just have, I don't know, credentials. So this decentralized markets. Credentials and, and complex regression models, right? That's because that's what it really comes down to. And a lot of this stuff is really, that's what it's for. Some of this is how do we fit the real world into an econometric model, which is maybe not a good yes. idea to begin with. Maybe that's, you know, we're oversimplifying in these models and we're missing out on a whole, a whole lot of things, including the monetary system. Remember, DSGE models have no input for the monetary or financial system. Although you keep hearing that economists have learned and they've, they've added a little bit of a financial variable into their equation, but they certainly don't have a monetary variable, which means we're missing out on all of these other things, which is why they're so desperate to discredit and discount the bond market signal because it is saying something to the public in very easily understood terms that you guys have it all wrong. Bill Dudley, you have it all wrong, Esther George. You have it all wrong, Jay Powell. You guys are hiking interest rates for all the wrong reasons. Well, thank you, Jeff, for going through those articles and studies with us. Appreciate it. Uh, looking forward to talking to you again soon. Let's do this. The next QE study, Jeff. Let's book it now. Absolutely. All right, Emil. Take care. Bye.